praise the Lord, mightiest prophet of the Lord. Well, uh, now, beloved people, precious people, uh, precious elect, precious saints of the Lord, I know that uh, it has been a long time waiting for this sermon here, this special teaching that was supposed to come in the morning, and then now comes now East African time. But nothing is lost because I will summarize everything, I will give everything that was due. What a mighty, mighty blessing to come to you in your homes. I know it's about 8 o'clock East African time, coming to 8.30. And I want to talk about this very, very important visitation. This important visitation that took place on Friday, May 11th. 2018 at about 2.15 a.m. giving this message. I want to talk about uh, the greater unveiling and the raveling of a greater understanding on what the Lord Jehovah indeed has said and is saying as we speak to the Church of Christ world over, to the body of Christ globally, to the nations of the earth, where the Lord is speaking to the universe. And I will begin by going through the conversation itself, the visitation of the Lord. But before then, just to acknowledge I would love to acknowledge that uh, this is the most beloved time, the most precious time in the history of the church, the history of the nations, and the history of the earth. Because at this hour, the Lord Jehovah, after a long and prolonged silence of drought, when he was not speaking, then finally now the Lord Jehovah is speaking directly to the church, to the church of Christ, to the bride of Christ, and is giving her advantage point, is putting her at an advantage position, because as you can tell, time has shifted, there is a shifting within the heavenly realm, and of course on the earth too, by extension. And so, the Lord hides. He hides away the visitation of the rapture of the church. He conceals it. And then, he keeps it close to his chest. In terms of the event, the day and the hour. It is more like a trap. It is a trap unto the nations, unto the church, unto the Christian believer. Considering that the day and the hour is not known. So you can see the imminent nature. The imminent nature <coughs> of the coming of the Messiah of the rapture of the church 
of the gathering of the saints definitely tells us that it's a hidden event that is concealed by the hidden council in the upper chambers of wisdom of the Lord in heaven. It is concealed, it is hidden in such a way that only they that will adhere they that would have, would, will adhere to the instruction, the command of the Lord with regards to preparedness, only they are able to benefit, only they are able to enter into the safety of heaven, beloved people, precious saints, and I see your children from all over the globe, globally, from the four winds of the earth. And so this is a very important moment for us for the church, for the Christian believer, for you. Because at this moment, the Lord is speaking directly to the church. And if there is anything that one may have missed out over time, then this is the hour they catch up because the Lord is now speaking directly and talking about preparedness and the coming of the Messiah. I want just to mention here in passing before I start that uh, on 15th of January, the year 2017. In that tremendous visitation of the Godhead, when God the Father showed me how the church would be taken upon the coming of the Messiah up in the skies above the earth, and I saw in that tremendous visitation the rapture of the church, how they were lifted up, they were being lifted up from the ground. It's a very spectacular event to see, to watch, to observe, and to witness. And they were lifted up and I could see the strings of glory pulling them. The string, it is the glory, the way the Lord presented it, I could see the glory. It is the glory that essentially resurrects the dead, sleepy church, sleeping church, the one asleep. And it's the same glory of the Lord that after resurrecting them, glorifies them and gives them, gives them their glorious bodies. The bodies are very glorious. They are glorious bodies and glorious garments too. Initially, in the beginning, it was difficult to understand. So I kept thinking that the glorious body is the glorious garment, but they are two now. The glorious bodies they bear and the glorious garments they wear. And I can describe the dressing here. As they are dressed, you can see the turban. They tie a turban. All of them young and old, white and black. It doesn't matter, male and female. They have a turban that weaves. The way the turban is held on the head, it weaves on the face. On the four face, it's woven up and down. It's like you twisted cloth in a small rope on, in, from a cloth. And you take two of them and you weave one up, the other down, one up, the other down, across the face. And it's a glorious garment. And that turban flows all the way to their back. I could see it to the back, I could see it even now, it's flowing to the back. And then, on top of that, 
the glorious garment they wear is so long that you would not tell who are the ladies and who are the men. It's so long it covers them down totally to the feet. And the hands, the arms of the garments have sleeves and the sleeves are connected. They are connected with the clothes to the main cloth. Such that it would appear as though they have a wingy part, a wingy, wingy part of the cloth, like a wing. And then as they were taken up, they were lifted up on my left hand side. They were lifted up. And at that time, he that speaks with you was very huge, absolutely very, very huge. So you could see them from his left and he was stretching his hand down as they were coming up. Then they went left and up to a point in the sky, in the clouds, they turned right. When they turned right, they faced the humongous cloud that had descended from heaven, the huge cloud that is sizing the earth plus they faced it directly. And when they faced the cloud directly, so they really went on the home stretch. That became their home stretch. And for me, it's a different story because the Lord makes me see some Christians that I know to see them going. And among the other observations I saw is that families were entering together. They were entering together because I could see the wives and the husbands. I don't know who, but they were families. They were holding their children as they moved in together. Which presents a wonderful hope for the church, for the nations now, that surely, yes, you can enter eternity with your family. The Lord has promised it in the Bible before. He promised family deliverance, family salvation, and revival. And so as they entered, then the glorious stairs, as they, the, the door opened, the cloud opened, then the glorious stairs appeared, and then I could see now as they lifted the, 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 their feet to step on the stairs, then I could see the, their glorious feet. Their feet are glorious. Their glorious feet touching the glorious stairs of the Lord. January 15th, the year 2017. And then they walk and climb. Walk, walk, walk and climb. Walk, walk. It's a beautiful scenario and I never saw any one of them look back. I did not see Mrs. Lut, Mrs. Lot. I didn't see anyone look back. They went and they kept disappearing up to the chest level to the shoulders until I could see only the heads entering. And then finally disappeared inside. What a beautiful moment for the nations of the earth. That finally this prophecy was given January 15, the year 2017. And then come March, March 11, the year 2018, the Lord now lowers those stairs and people are able to see them. Everyone is able to see them and record them on their phones. In the clouds above the earth, the exact glorious tale that the Lord spoke in that prophecy of January 15th, the year 2017. And so you see that this generation becomes a very special generation because they have beheld heaven, they have seen heaven with their eyes, they have seen the kingdom of Jehovah our God, and uh, 
it's a big encouragement now to the church. All people can now fight for entry, strive for entry, ask for help from the Holy Spirit to help them to see the glorious kingdom of Yahweh, that they may not languish in the fire of hell. Now, after that conversation, I know that uh, another visitation has come up when in the libraries, the people working through the libraries at the office, the main office, finally found the visitation of January 1, the year 2009. And that has also become a major visitation, a major conversation globally now. Now, one billion plus people are involved in this conversation, probably two billion now, we don't know. One billion was like a week ago. But it's a very powerful conversation of when on January 1, the year 2009, at Kuhungu Stadium, the same venue of unveiling of the stripes of the mighty prophet Elijah on June 5th, the year 2005, when he commanded the heavens to open in a broad sunny summer day, and in less than a minute, heaven opened and rain poured down the like And people were so shocked that they collapsed. And the Holy Spirit is going to touch people. But now the same venue, some five years later, four years later or so, now the visitation when the Godhead comes down and openly and officially now reveals the revelation of his servants, the day when he admits them into the office of the two dreadful witnesses of Revelation 11, preparing for the dispensation beyond now but also preparing the church, as you've seen over time, the holy church, the righteous church, that they may enter the glorious kingdom of Yahweh. And so that visitation, when the Godhead comes down in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, and light lands on my head, and then after that dissolves, and then settles, and then leaves with joy, you see him gliding now, raising wing vertical, and going. That has become also a monumental visitation, probably the biggest visitation of this generation. Now, in that conversation we've spoken with clarity, we read from the book of Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was baptized, and the same endorsement, affirmation, confirmation, inauguration, approval was done by heaven unto him. And then he carried on with his ministry. From that point on, empowered by the Lord, admitted into the office of the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And we saw from John chapter 1, verse 32, that John the Baptist baptizing him was not aware of who he was. He, he, he went baptizing and he says, the reason I was sent to baptize by he that sent me to baptize with water is that I may reveal him to the earth. I may reveal him to the world that he may reveal the Messiah to us. Reveal to us the Messiah, reveal to us the Christ, 
revealed to us the Lord's chosen one, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of all men. And that conversation is an ongoing conversation. And I read from the book of Psalm 45, verse 7, when I say it, the reason he was chosen is because there is a great contest between wrong and right, or right and wrong, as you will, and that there is no neutrality in this contest, and that when he entered into his formal public ministry on that day, he had taken step, and he had taken position to battle sin, to fight sin, to step out and fight sin into a military duty that fights sin and Satan in his ministerial duty. And we have also seen that that event abundantly fitted him with some, equipped him with some unique, powerful authority to do duty, to do the calling for which he has been sent. And we see from the living translation, he says, you love justice and righteousness and hate evil and wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you apart and anointed you by pouring out the oil of gladness and joy on you more and more to flood you with the anointing more than any of your fellows, any of your companions, more than anyone else. And you see, from that point when he went on to read Isaiah 61, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has sent me to proclaim the good news, the good tidings, and to set the captives free. So that conversation we had, beloved people. And so I want to build on that with this new conversation from Jehovah Yahweh, the God of heaven, where all people would love to stay, to be for their eternity stay away from hell, I want to talk about the conversation of May, Friday, May 11th, the year 2018, at about 2.15 a.m., when the Lord spoke. And what did the Lord speak that night? The Lord shows me two dispensations from a distance. He lifts me up above so I can see down, I can see the dispensation in other words I can see the complete prophetic timeline of the Lord and he shows me the dispensation of light so I see light after that there is a big wall a vertical wall of darkness and beyond that is complete pitch darkness unique darkness and what amazes me so much in that conversation what stood out is the sharp demarcation, the sharp distinction between light and darkness. That from this point on going left is light, and from that same point on going right was darkness, and thick, thick darkness, no one could walk in there, no one could tell direction. It was such a darkness, I would describe how I tried to walk in there, it was tremendous. The darkness was very thick as I've said, pitch darkness, historic darkness that has never ever been seen 
upon the face of the earth ever since the creation of the earth by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Then in the process, the Lord plunges me, He plunges the two suddenly into the darkness, the pitch darkness, and I see the two now. And I see how the two are moving in the darkness. It's kind of very difficult. It is not easy. Moving in the darkness. And it was absolute darkness. Pitch thick darkness you cannot see in front. You can see the back. And then, after that, I see the two of us call down fire from heaven. And that fire that came from heaven became the only source of light in that darkness. So, the fire that came from heaven, the two fires now lit and moving with tremendous authority and power and rage, there's, there's so much I learned from this conversation, new sounds, so much rage and ferocity, ferocious, and pursuing the enemy. But that fire, the two fires that we lit in there became the only source of light in that dispensation of peace, darkness. And today I'm going to go very, very deep, extremely very deep on this issue. Because this turned out to be a mega conversation of this time for this generation at this critical hour in the church. And so, as we had called down fire from heaven and now moving, plowing through the darkness, moving great power through the darkness for a confrontation, for a clash with sin and Satan. Then, all of a sudden, the voice of the Godhead, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord Elohim El Olam, the Lord Jehovah Sabaoth, aloud and said a witness unto the light a witness of the light a witness unto the light and as he spoke I could see his hand his hand typing it so I could see the writing the capital letter in capital letters in capital letters a witness unto the light and then after that I saw the two witnesses of God, the two witnesses of heaven, the two witnesses of Revelation 11, moving through the darkness in an amazing, ferocious manner that I had not known before. And they were moving in that darkness in such a powerful way in hot pursuit. They were literally searching for where people lived. And that also shocked me quite a bit. They were looking for where people live. I remember we searched quite a bit, and then when we found, and then events took place, there was a contact, a serious contact with the enemy. They then began to demolish, we began to demolish the cities. Cities, and some of them, the earth opened and swallowed, the building tumbled. But others, it was out of the confrontation that the earth shook. Then the Godhead spoke in the height of that confrontation and conflict. 
Then he spoke because of the heavy quake that was taking place and the, the earth opening and the demolition. Then the God had spoke saying, They are demolishing and destroying the earth. Then I saw the battle rage on more seriously, very, very seriously. At that point, we were still in hot pursuit, pursuing the enemy and striking the enemy, and the enemy was fighting back. You know, you know wickedness fights back. If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 7, when Satan fell, you know, the Lord never created Satan. The Lord created an angel. And when the angel disobeyed Lucifer, then him with one third, his legions, they fought back. When Michael struck them, attacked them, they fought back. But good enough, Michael neutralized them and struck them down. But that is a lesson to this generation and this church, that wickedness fights back. Wickedness always fights back. So when you're dealing with sin and wickedness, you have to be very careful because it fights back. That is the same thing I saw in this heightened conflict and clash. Titanic battle in the dispensation of pitch darkness, absolute darkness. I saw that the enemy was fighting back, so it became an enormous clash. A serious clash that was building out to the residential areas and all that. Then the two witnesses of the Lord, very, very ferocious, pursued the enemy relentlessly. It was difficult, it was not possible to move across the earth because of the pitch darkness, but the light they had called down is what lit the way. And wherever they saw people leaving, people leave, they went. But whenever the two witnesses moved, with the reddish fire, the huge flames, the fight became heightened and climaxed, and the earth shook. Then, all of a sudden, when we looked at the horizon, when I saw, looked at the horizon, we saw the light coming. So at the end of the darkness, now I see light, some light coming. The light of the oncoming Messiah. After all that, the Messiah coming back, as we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 14. Coming back with you, the church, you, the blessed ones that will enter heaven, you that have chosen holiness and righteousness. Now coming back in your glorious bodies, wearing a glorious garment, in white horses, coming with the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And so we, we, we saw that light coming. And that also terminated the mission on that conflict to fight for Jehovah. That finished that fight. And the mission of the two was finished at that point. But a very important thing I would like to raise in this conversation, beloved people, very big things, we cannot exhaust them tonight. I'll just do as much as I can tonight. That stand out. One of the main things that stands out that we will look at tonight is the fact that the dispensation of light exists and then hits a wall of darkness when all of a sudden the light is taken away. So I'll be looking at that sudden taking away of light. I didn't see it diffused through. I didn't see any light diffused into darkness. It was suddenly into pitch darkness, absolute 
darkness, unthinkable darkness, unbelievable darkness, unbearable darkness. And that imminent loss of life, that taking away of life, is a very serious message to the church. So we're going to look at that subsection too. And also another very important part is when he spoke and said, a witness unto the light, a witness of the light, in other words, a witness unto the light, then in that way the Lord again provided another revelation and identity of he that speaks with you and the mission. Because we know that when John came, he came as a witness unto the light. In the book of John chapter 1, you read them from verse 6 on, you hear that conversation, a witness unto the light. So that too is a very important unveiling that the Lord presented on that day. John chapter 1 verse 6, and of course 25 too are going to be important. But John chapter 1 verse 6 it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7 it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Very powerful. So for the Lord to mention this very scripture in that conversation, that is the message the Lord was relaying here. He said, a witness unto the light. So then it becomes very clear that the Lord is drawing the line and is unveiling to this generation and saying, look, when John the Baptist came at that time, he began to announce the coming of the Lamb of God, the light that would come to the earth. And he came from the throne of God Almighty. And I remember very well that 2nd of April, the year 2004, in the Western Hemisphere on the other side, when the Lord had this mega visitation with me and took me before the throne room, and then at that place, John the Baptist came from the throne, the glory that covered the entire throne. And I knew, he made me know that God the Father was seated on the throne. And then God the Son, Christ the Messiah, was also on his throne. Of course, later he opens my eyes, I see his throne, I see the throne sleep, and the glory pouring on his glorious chest like this. There's the blood, the blood pouring on his glorious chest. But John came from the throne, and that is what he is saying here. Before John spoke with me and disappeared here, he came from the throne. So he is speaking very clearly to this generation that when John came, John began to prepare the way for the glorious coming of the Messiah, the light, the Lamb of God, the chosen one of God, the darling of heaven, the, the living tree, the rod of Sharon, the living the, the, the living water, the living stone, the beloved one of God Almighty, our Father, the love of most, the one that died on the cross. So when John came, John testified, and only those that listened to him, to them, was it revealed 
them a sign. Again, let me say this the second thing. When John came and preached the gospel, preparing the way, announcing the coming of the Messiah, only those few, strictly, many, many rejected him. They, the Pharisees, they fought him. The, the Sadducees, they castigated him. They questioned him. But only those that believed were able to receive the revelation of the Christ and were able to receive Christ. And some of whom were his, uh, his assistants, his disciples. And you see that later they became the disciples of Christ the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. And so, it is going to be very important to link this to the conversation that's ongoing. When he said a light, a, a witness unto the light, a witness of the light. Announcing that he is coming, the greater one is coming. But much more importantly now, in the dispensation of darkness, where there too now, he will prepare the way in that raging battle to tell the nations that no, the true gospel is Christ Jesus the Lord, the Son of the living God died on the cross and redeemed all men. And only he alone is the Messiah, is the Christ. The Antichrist is not Christ. That only he alone is God and God Almighty. So prepare for him is coming. Again, preparing the way as a witness unto the light. No wonder at the end of the mission, then the, at the horizon the light comes. Very powerful, beloved people. Then at the horizon, at the climax of it, when the battle is ceasing, then the light comes. The millennial reign of Christ comes to the earth. The Messiah now comes back with the raptured church. You people tuned in today. And that is the golden age. It begins the powerful golden age by slaying the enemy, binding him for, for 1,000 years. The golden age takes root on the earth. The reign of peace. The millennium of the reign of Christ. The millennium of peace. The powerful millennium takes place on the earth. A very golden season never seen before on the earth where there will be peace. And there will be two types of people. There will be those who have come with the Messiah with their glorious bodies. And then there will also be those who are living on the earth here who have not yet gone, who are converts, who will be in their mortal bodies. So it's amazing what we are up against a brother ahead of us here. And then, beloved people, it is that conversation now that I want to focus on and open up some mighty understanding about the revelation, unveiling, and what the Lord is saying to the church, the church of Christ, globally, the body of Christ. I want to focus a little bit for the first few 15 minutes now, beginning from now, on the imminent return of the Messiah. You see that in that conversation, there is the imminent return of the Messiah footprinted there, embedded there. Because you see the dispensation of light and then the wall of darkness. So light suddenly disappears. Suddenly. And I want to read from scripture here. I want to read from the book of Mark. I begin with Mark chapter 13. Precious people. 
the beloved people of the Lord. Mark chapter 13, I'll read verse 4. Mark 13 verse 4. And this is what the Bible, the Holy Scriptures say, beloved people. So Mark chapter 13 verse 4, King James says, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Let us see NIV. NIV says, Tell us, what will these things happen? When, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Now, if you read from the book of Matthew 24 verse 4, the same verse, it comes out even much more openly because it says in Matthew 24 verse 4, he says, verse 3 rather, he says, when he was seated on the Mount of Olives, I'm reading Amplified, and the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this take place and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end, the completion and the consummation of the age? In King James he says, verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, <coughs> the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? So, it comes out differently, because they mention the return of Christ. As in Mark 13, verse 4, we saw, he did not mention the return of Christ, he just said, when this will happen. And then when the Lord Jesus responded in verse 4, then he begins to give the signs of the return of the Messiah and of the end of the age. These are the signs that one can close down and begin to check around and live sensitively, beloved people. Now, that imminent return of the Messiah is essentially the gathering of the saints, the rapture of the church. When the church is raptured away, she's taken away. She's gathered the event that I described on January 15, the year 2017. When they go and enter, finally enter eternity, and tremendous celebration takes place there. The Bible says the wedding feast of the Lamb, and it's a big feast, the big non-ending celebration. The same Mark chapter 13 as we stepwise continue to explore the imminent return of the Messiah that is well traumatized in this vision of the Lord, this conversation of May 11, the year 2018. If you look at the same Mark 13, but verse 32 now, verses 32 and 33, this is what you see. The title says, The day and the hour are known. And I'm reading NIV, and it says, No one knows about that day or hour, nor even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33. <coughs> Verse 33 says, Be on guard, be alert, you do not know when that time will come. 
So this is so powerful because that is what the Lord demonstrated in that tremendous conversation, in that prophecy that he unleashed, that he released out on May 11th, just a few days ago, the year 2018. And this is a mighty, mighty demonstration of love by heaven. God the Father is demonstrating love to the Church of Christ, to the Bride of Christ. He is trying to help her. He is trying to open to her the alertness that is due this hour. He is trying to speak to her on the fact that the coming of the Messiah is imminent, is sudden. Because says, be on guard, be alert. Because the light ends suddenly and then the Lord suddenly plunged me into the darkness. And the two of us were operating in the darkness doing the duty of the Lord. And the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 8, as we build on this conversation today, this someone, the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 25. Romans 8, verses 19, all the way from verse 19, all the way to verse 25. If you start 18, there is no problem. But 19 says, The creation awaits in eager expectation for the Son of God. For the, son, for the sons of God, excuse me, I read again. The creation awaits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. By the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Very powerful. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we all know where that groaning began from. It began from the fall of man in the garden in Genesis, where now they began to groan. That's why you hear the cows mooing. You hear the birds creaking and crying, the crickets creaking, everything, the mourning, the groaning of men. All creation is groaning because of that fall. That is the book of Genesis. And it says, as in pain of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the adoption of sons and redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is sin is no hope at all. Who hopes for what has already, what he already has, what has already happened? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, meaning relentlessly, and giving up. 
and the Lord is emphasizing here to the church, beloved people, that there has to be great expectation and anticipation at this hour for this event, the sudden taking away of the church. The church, the vessel of the Holy Spirit. The church is the one that is carrying the Spirit of the Lord at this hour. Remember, the Holy Spirit was only sent to the church and no one else, and no entity else. And that when the Holy Spirit is here, the church, the Holy Church, I mean the Holy Church, not the church you see on Christian TV, the sinful church that is immoral and is false prophecy, false apostles, false doctrine. I'm talking about the Holy Church of Christ that has embraced the treasured gospel of the cross and the blood of Jesus at Calvary. So in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, this is what he says, still try to build on onto this imminent return of the Messiah that is well footprinted, whose footprint is well placed in this prophecy of May 11, the year 2018. So verse 7 he says, again 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7 I'm reading, he says, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you, again, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, meaning the day of the revelation of the Messiah. There is no greater thing, beloved people, there is no most exciting thing in the history of the entire earth than to finally sit in the history of creation than to finally sit one day in front of the Lord. To be in front of the Lord and see Him face to face. And that people, the church, may find their believers, the Christians, after all this that has happened on the earth, those that have overcome and travailed and conquered and overcome, been assisted by the Holy Spirit, the zealous ones, the faithful ones, that to sit finally and face to face our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater and even much more importantly to see our Father in heaven seated right there ministering to us. And that's why he says with great anticipation, uh, anticipation therefore you do not lack, you do not lack any spiritual gift excuse me, as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. So, what is the Lord saying? He's saying that by presenting this particular demarcation here, between light and darkness, the sharp, sharp demarcation between light and darkness, the sudden fall into the dispensation of darkness, the Lord is saying that right now the demeanor of the church, if you look at the countenance, the, the behavior of the church, the demeanor, it should be such a behavior that reflects anticipation, great anticipation. Expectation, great expectation for the day when Christ will be revealed in the heart and the life of the church. How powerful a counsel, beloved people. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, step wise, beloved. And then after that, I will talk about readiness. The readiness it spoke also there. It spoke so much in this conversation. And that's why you see taking just little components and little portions of this prophecy. Then the 
is a whole sermon. For example, now, we have not yet begun, but we are simply talking about this sharp distinction, sharp demarcation between the dispensation of light that's on the left and then the dispensation of darkness that is on the right. On the right hand side. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5. This is what he says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Again, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And of course he goes on down there to say do not be anxious for anything. But let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And in Jude chapter 21, Jude has only one chapter. Jude 21, he talks about it too. So I want to look at the readiness, the preparedness that that sudden drop, sudden plunge, when suddenly the Lord plunged me into the darkness. The readiness the Lord spoke there, because he spoke in mighty ways there too, by plunging suddenly without preparation. And then suddenly I plunge into the darkness. There is a conversation there for the saints. There is a serious conversation there for the believers, blessed Jesus. So, Jude 21, I read before we go into James chapter 5, verse 8. Jude 21, he says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So, all these scriptures that I've read, all of the above, essentially talk about the great expectation, the great anticipation, the great wait, the great anxiousness we should be now as we wait for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be revealed for you finally to be with the Lord in heaven, to be seated with Him at the wedding feast of the Lamb, non-stop worship. And if you think the worship of the earth is beautiful and sweet, then wait until you hear and see the worship in heaven. When the multitudes stand up and begin to worship our Father in heaven, in Christ Jesus. And worship the Lamb on the throne. And worship God the Holy Spirit. So, let me now develop a little subsection for you I have talked about the great expectation that that kind of sudden drop, sudden plunge into darkness that happened in that prophecy of May 11th, the year 2018, that night when I could not wait until morning to give you that prophecy for fear that no one knows the day or the hour. It could even happen five minutes after the prophecy. That sudden plunge into darkness as we have seen so far, all the scriptures read, emphasize on the fact that if the church were to be obedient and faithful to the Lord, at this hour, the instruction from that prophecy is that she has to be, she ought to be highly expectant, in great anticipation, in her spirit, soul, and mind, anticipating the arrival of Christ, the revelation of the Messiah. What a tremendous thing to anticipate, beloved people. Waiting eagerly to see Jesus unveiled, Jesus revealed finally. That is a powerful thing, a powerful generation essentially. So he's saying that is the instruction that came from the sudden drop. But how about the message on readiness? 
Can we look at James chapter 5 verse 8 as we build up to this sermon? James chapter 5 verse 8. And this is what he says, precious people. James chapter 5 verse 8. He says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. You too be patient and stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on righteousness. Stand firm on repentance and turning away from sin. Stand firm on holiness. Stand firm on faithfulness. Stand firm on uprightness. Stand firm on integrity with God. Stand firm on reverence to God. Stand firm on the fear of God. These things that this world has neglected and trashed away, they are the treasures we behold as the church. The, ch- the world today, when you look at them, they don't see any need for the fear of God. The world as they are today, when you look at them, they don't see the relevance of holiness. The world as you see today, the entire world, the majority and entire, they don't see the importance of righteousness. Corruption has flooded the earth. The world, the way you look at the world today, Immorality is rife. It is plenteous. It is all over. It's infectious. You turn on your TV, the first thing that hits you is immorality. You read your paper, you, you, you open your phone to take a message or to make a call, the first pop-ups that pop up are immoral. So you order a app to keep shutting them down, you keep shut down and shut, and they are very relentless too. Sometimes they ask you, do you want this art, art to continue or not? But you did not solicit for that art. So, you see, he's saying, stand firm. You too, be patient and stand firm. And the patience he talked about there is owing and courtesy to the fact that there would be headwinds. There would be resistance to holy living. It would be unpopular to live in the fear of God. This is what he alluded to. It would not be popular at all to be in righteousness, to dress holy, to preach the holy gospel of the cross and the blood would not be popular. These are the things he's talking about here. He's telling people, he's telling the church that he is aware that at that time it would be unpopular to be faithful to the Lord. It will be easy. It would be easy. He's, he's saying, when the time comes, it will be easier for one to flout the rules of righteousness, the command of the Lord, the command, the law of the grace that you see in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. It will be easier to flout it and live a free life than to try to pursue a righteous life, a narrow road. And this is what he alludes to here, even as instructed by this powerful prophecy that we see on May 11th at 2.15 a.m. East African time, the year 2018. As we proceed, so in the same, so, so it is a clarion call. You see that the fact that he plunged me into the darkness suddenly, without notice, he did not tell me that, look now, I'm going to push you into the darkness. No. I suddenly found myself in the darkness and I could see myself doing tremendous work, the two of us moving like a storm. 
in, in the darkness. During the big battle for the Lord, and I did not see light there, meaning the church had been taken away. And so in, in so suddenly plunging, plunging the earth, plunging the earth into darkness, the Lord was trumpeting this message on readiness, on preparedness, as in be ready always, be prepared, be alert. The book of Luke chapter 24 verse 40, beloved people, as we proceed, and we are still handling just a simple part. I know that I'm going to handle the darkness at greater length tonight. The message that the Lord portrayed, sent from that darkness to the church, the instruction of the Lord, the, what is trumpeting now to the nations, the live conversation from the throne of God Almighty to the church of Christ. How awesome, beloved people, that the Lord can be speaking directly to the church by voice. An amazing hour to behold. So, I am still on this readiness, the preparedness, the be ready always that he is trumpeting and instructing from the sudden plunging of the earth and me into the darkness, the dispensation of the great tribulation, the tribulation of the great tribulation, beloved people. And like I've said before, this is the most important sermon. Why? Because the church was not designed to pass through the great tribulation. So this becomes a very important nugget. These are the nuggets of wisdom that the church may fulfill the blueprint of the mission. How the Lord created us with a blueprint that evades the tribulation and the great tribulation. Because we know too well that he that holds back the Antichrist will continue to hold him back until he is taken out of the way. And yet he that holds him back, we all know is the person of the Holy Spirit, is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Effectively and excellently holding him back from the beginning of the creation of the church. From when the church was passed out by water and blood. From when the church observed her birthday, her first birthday, the day of birth, at Pentecost, when the Spirit came down, he has been holding back the dominion of darkness, this dominion of darkness I want to handle today. He is holding back that dominion of darkness, dispensation of darkness, for more than 2,000 years, successfully, effectively, and excellently, and perfectly. So, until the church, which is the habitation of the Holy Spirit, and I mean the Holy Church, not those that are dressing in immorality, that are spewing out immorality on Christian TV. I'm not talking about that church. I'm not talking about the foolish bird. I'm talking about the wise church that has the fear of God, where wisdom is the fear of God. Those that wait first, they check before they step out, what am I wearing? Am I pleasing Christ? Why am I on this phone call? Does the, how does this help my eternity? Would Jesus have made this phone call if I am Christ's ambassador on the earth? The book of Luke 24, still on this readiness that is being trumpeted in this tremendous demarcation of light and darkness, the sudden plunge, Luke 24 verse 40, this is what he says, precious people. Luke 24 40 says, when we had, again, when he, sorry, when he had said this, he showed them his hand and feet. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and feet. And while they still did not believe it. Because of joy and amazement, he asked them, 
you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. How powerful. This is a powerful time because at this time, he had earlier spoken to them about the fact that he would resurrect, he would come. And then now, suddenly, he is successful. He has resurrected and he appeared. He found them in great anticipation. They were looking forward because the message had been sent them. In great anticipation. And then now he arrives. It was as though they would not believe. That's why I said they could not believe. And the church should also be right now, this current church, this is the primitive church, but the current church now, the modern church, the present day church, should also be the place where she should be looking forward to seeing him face to face and speaking with him. And that is what should really stir you up, stir you up to greater gearing and readiness that he's talking about. That that day should not find you as a thief and surprise you and shock you. The book of Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 on the same readiness that the church ought to have now. The lesson the Lord is speaking to the church in on the matter of readiness in terms of preparedness that you may not be caught unaware in other people because the kingdom of God has been prepared for you for no one else except you, the bride of Christ. For you and the, and the Hebrew church that is going to be redeemed after these events. The book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, still on readiness. The readiness that was be spoken on that May 11th, the year 2018, at about... 2.15 a.m. when I gave the message here. So Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, precious people, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. How powerful, beloved people. Again, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, from there. The Lord Jesus Christ is His name, the Messiah. How powerful, beloved I know sometimes the going has been tough. That's why he uses this scripture to encourage the church. In that tremendous prophecy, the sudden plunge into darkness is bringing hope, bringing hope bringing the point home to those who are on this earth gone through persecution for their righteousness gone through a lot of pain gone through rejection gone through isolation maybe at one place or in your house in your family wherever it is because of your choice for the Lord your choice for righteousness that you chose righteousness you dress different from them they have now left you out. They don't call you. They don't go with you for lunch. They don't walk with you. They don't talk to you. Whatever it is you go through. Or you are rejected by your family. For accepting righteousness. 
for pursuing holiness or for being a Christian. He gives a precious encouragement here. He says, don't worry about the citizenry of this world, the citizenships of this world. Oh, I'm an American citizen. Oh, I'm Canadian. Oh, I'm Kenyan. Oh, I'm Swedish. Oh, I'm Finnish. Oh, I'm Australian. Whatever. He said, don't worry about those things. Those are temporary. Those are temporary enjoyments they have. He's saying, very clearly here, beloved people, but our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await the Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ is His name. And when that day comes, it will not matter what our citizenry and citizenship of the earth has done to us, has tormented us to, has persecuted us to, has blackmailed us unto. He says, finally, we get an eternal citizenship of peace. And very much aware of what the other people get in hell. Those who are rebellious, refuse to believe the Lord, and persecuted the Christian. The Christian, the holy Christian believer. Pressing on towards the goal. That is the purpose, he says here. Just keep pressing on. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly, expectantly, let me see what Amplified says here. Verse 20 says, But we are citizens of the state, the commonwealth, the homeland, which is in heaven, and from it also we earnestly and patiently await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior. And King James says, For our conversation, again he says, King James, beloved people, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Amplified is powerful. He brings it out. The great expectation that we ought to be wearing now. The great eagerness. The great anticipation. He says that is the only way this church will not be caught unaware on that day. That is the only way when that day comes, the church will not find herself not ready. The book of Titus chapter 2, verse 13, as I begin to wind down on this introductory segment on the imminent return of the Messiah, the sudden plunge, the first part, the second part, they have both emphasized eagerness, anticipation, great expectation, but even most importantly in there, you've seen readiness now. That that eagerness should exude itself, should present itself in you as readiness. So the book of Titus, beloved people, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, and the last scripture in this series is First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five. Again, First Thessalonians chapter five, precious people, verse six. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse six. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse six. And the book of Titus chapter two, verse thirteen. 
from light to darkness is very instrumental at this hour, beloved people. I know that I really want to talk about the darkness, but just a little caution of this. That in as much as I will discuss the darkness, and of course the message from the darkness that will come to the church, the dispensation of darkness, the wall of darkness that suddenly consumes no more light, no more lightness. But he says here, in First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, I read a little outside the curve, but First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 he says, The church was not designed to enter the coming wrath. And that's why many times you see, like in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, he says, Jacob's trouble. Meaning, it is the time at which the Lord now, in his very powerful way, using the instruments and assets that he has brought down here already, will begin to deliver Israel. So, it will be a tremendous time and they will flee through, you know, a specific corridor that he has set for them. But he says, Jacob's trouble. So he wasn't designed for the church. And in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, the book of Revelation chapter 3, if you turn with me, beloved people, as a little caution before I enter the main theme of today's conversation, this pitch darkness he showed me. What does it speak to the church? What is the warning and the message to the church? But Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he goes on to say, precious people, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, that is the darkness that I'm going to discuss now. This most trying moment in the history of creation. It will be the most vicious moment in the history of the creation of the earth. There will be tremendous persecution never seen since the earth was created. The suffering and the pain will be unbearable. I know so much about it. And there is a second conversation I'm going to give you that happened this afternoon when I was about to come on air. Then the Lord began to speak to you. me and began to speak to me about this same season here. I'm going to relay that to you too. This is a live conversation, blessed people. I had prepared to come to you at 1 o'clock p.m. Then all of a sudden I felt very, very tired. And I knew that the Lord wanted to speak with me, and He slayed me, so I went asleep, and immediately began to show me, He took me right into the dispensation of that darkness. So there are some things I'm going to bring out here. This now becomes the conversation of today. The conversation of Saturday, of, the, of Saturday, the year 2000, uh, this is May. This is the conversation of today. Let me just pick the date right here. May. Yes. This Saturday here. This is the conversation of Saturday the 12th of May. So this whole conversation of May 11th was just yesterday. I thought it was two days ago. It's yesterday. Friday. So May 12th, Saturday, 2018. Today there was a conversation again. I was preparing to come to you, beloved people, at 1 p.m. East African time, and of course different times in the different time zones. Then all of a sudden, as I prepared, I became very tired, 
And the Lord slayed me, and he took me right into the depth of the dispensation of the great tribulation. And then there was a lot of tremendous fight there, unbelievable fight, which I'll share with you very shortly here. Including calling for fire. Let me share this with you first. So the book of Revelation, the caution, that the charge, in the way the Lord designed the church, in the way the Lord created the church, in the redemption plan of the church, if you look at the prophetic timeline of God in the Bible, the church was not designed to see this tribulation here, the great tribulation. And that's what I'm bringing to you before I go into the dispensation of darkness, which was a major thing in that prophecy of yesterday, May 11th, the year 2018. Again, verse 10, I read here. And he says here in verse 10, that since you have kept my command, and that is the instruction in itself, that becomes a very important instruction in itself for those who will not be able to plunge into the dispensation of darkness, then the answer is right there. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, why is he speaking like this, the church? Essentially, he's saying that I know that it will be difficult for you to uphold the virtues of the cross during the times of the end, when now I am about to come for the church, when the season is about to change. There will be so much tumult, tempest, mayhem, persecution, headwind, rejection, name it, by your own spouses, by your children, by your family, by your workmates, by your bosses, by everything, by the world. It will be unpopular to obey the command of God. That's what he's saying here. It will be more popular to disobey the Lord. That's what he's saying here. And that's what you see in the world today. It is what you see on earth today. He says, however, for those that will patiently endure, he says, endure patiently. Since you have kept my command of righteousness and holiness and reverence unto the Holy Spirit and worshipping the Lord Jehovah alone in an idolatrous world and endure patiently, I will also keep you in reward, in return. I will also keep you from the hour of trouble, Jacob's trouble in other words, from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. In other words, those that don't enter in the rapture, beloved people. How powerful a caution to the church. And he says, in Amplified, because you have guarded and kept my word of patience and endurance, have held fast, fast, F-A-S, F-A-S-T, have held fast, dead fast, the lesson of my patience with the, with my patience with the expectant endurance that I give you, I also, in other words, in return, will keep you safe from the hour of trial and testing which is coming on the whole world from the hour of trial and testing, trial and testing, which is coming on the whole world, beloved people, 
So try those who dwell upon the earth. At that time, my expectation that you will not be on the earth. You will not be walking and roaming, roaming around this earth. You will be in the safety of heaven, enjoying the tremendous worship, the trumpet men of heaven, enjoying the melodies of worship, standing up and worshiping the Lord until your tears wash your face. In the glorious kingdom of heaven, enjoying the wedding feast of the Lamb. So in as much as we really want to talk about the darkness, surely, surely, the church is not meant to enter into the reign of darkness. That was not God's plan for the church, that she may see darkness. So can I begin then to handle the darkness bit by bit? And this is going to be our main conversation today. The tremendous dispensation, the reign of darkness that I saw demarcated by a sharp vertical wall of darkness and the light, light of the side. But before I share that, I would like to fellowship with you regarding the conversation that took place today, May 12th, the year 2018, the prophecy that the Lord gave me today at the exact time when he knew I was coming to talk to you, then he slayed me and took me deep into the dispensation of the great tribulation. And at that time, I get involved in tremendous. I get so much involved in there. Knowing that I'm going to come and speak with you, the nations of the earth. How awesome a living God speaking life to the nations and the church, the bride of Christ. Now, today, beloved people, the Lord slayed me in the afternoon. And then immediately I fell asleep. I found myself into the great tribulation. And in the great tribulation there, it was the unspeakable time, the most unbearable time ever, ever since creation. And at one point, I see people were meeting. And there is an authority, there is an authority that has martial forces, so he has developed armies, he has quite strong armies and a lot of them. And then, uh, so much wickedness began to spew. There was so much wickedness now. Remember that right now, the amount of wickedness you see in this wicked world is nothing in comparison to the great, unbelievable, unchecked, uncontrolled wickedness that will take place in the dispensation of the great tribulation. So, that's why the Lord is taking this time to encourage the church, to help the church, to start up the church, to take advantage of this time in order to prepare, to prepare herself well that she may not be found in this dispensation of about to be Christ. It was a time of great darkness on the earth that the Lord slanked me into this afternoon again. And this is the second time the Lord has spoken within a span of 24 hours, you know, maybe 48 hours. This is the second time He speaks about the great tribulation. The conversation we are handling now, the great darkness, is the great tribu is a tribulation and the great tribulation. And then today it takes me into the real graphics, the dynamics of the detail and the duty that he wants me to do in there. But all I saw 
is that the amount of darkness, the, rather, the amount of wickedness that you see happening on the earth now, evil and wickedness and sin, is nothing compared to the tremendous unchecked, unbelievable wickedness that I saw today in the afternoon when the Lord took me right straight deep into the dispensation of the tribulation and the great tribulation. So, therefore, the message to the church is that you can take advantage of this time when the Spirit of the Lord is still on the earth, when the salvation of Christ is still on the earth, when the windows of heaven are still open, when the power of the Holy Spirit is still assisting the church, enabling the church, and facilitating the church to score these powerful benchmarks of righteousness, you can take advantage of this because beyond that is a, a point of no return. It cannot ever be compared with what you have today. What I know now about the great tribulation. And in there today, when the Lord put me there, I see a lot of forces that are used. And there are some meetings taking place. And there's a lot of wickedness that was happening. Tremendous wickedness. So much wickedness. Wicked and evil taking place on the earth. And then at one point also lizards. Little lizards began to turn against man. The lizards, these reptiles began to turn against man. And that was the most unthinkable moment. It, it was a very shocking time to see. The lizards, I saw some of them, and they are bigger lizards. They become big. Because I saw the smaller ones, even as we tried to crush the smaller ones, the Lord put me there to try to battle and combat them. And then the bigger lizards also appear. And then it was such a time, it was just unbelievable and unbearable. But then, in defining, there were some people that were with those leaders. Some people that seemed to have been involved in that arrangement also. But people were tormented on the earth. There was war. I could see war also taking place. Persecution, not war. Soldiers running, running to, to execute certain people that were worshipping Christ. And so the Lord then put me there. And I began, he, he empowers me with the other one so the two letters of God begin to do battle there. And at one point, we call fire on the leaders. And fire comes down and really incinerates them. And then a lot of soldiers also come trying to attack us. And then I remember calling fire. And fire comes and incinerates them, burns them, kills them, and another group. So there's a situation that took place there this afternoon, as the Lord took me there, in the future. And there's a lot of running also. And a lot of Christians who are being persecuted and executed. Plus other more details that I will not share now. But at the time when I was prepared to come and give this powerful message here, on the dispensation of life that I saw coming to an end and then hitting the wall of the dispensation of darkness, pitch darkness. 
At that time, at one o'clock today, East African time, this is what the Lord laid me and showed me. He showed me, got me so much involved. And uh, the call fire, call fire. So there was that situation from the two witnesses that they were moving to another place. And then fire came and it was just a terrible moment. It's not anything to talk about for a glorious church that is going to enter eternity. But the caution is that you may not enter there. So I want to briefly look at that darkness and then slowly give you the message of the Lord. I want to look at that darkness that when you see the graphic of the darkness, then I can be able now to deliver the message of the Lord from that darkness to the church. The caution. Why you should not enter that darkness. So the book of Revelation chapter 13, beloved people, we can't read it all, but from verse 2 to verse 10, gives some clear picture of what that darkness constitutes, including what I was involved in this afternoon, the second conversation in 48 hours, how awesome, how urgent is this coming of the Messiah then? Revelation chapter 13 verses 2 to 10 will give you quite a little bit of understanding, a great understanding on what this dispensation of darkness I'm talking about constitutes and why you should avoid it as a church, as people living on the earth. And so Revelation chapter 13 verse 2, it begins by saying, again verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard but had the feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. He goes on to say, the dragon whom we know is Satan, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Power, throne, and great authority. Three days, three things. He gives him three things. He gives him the power to execute the mission of Satan. He gives him the throne of Satan and the authority of Satan. So you can imagine how vicious. And he says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have been, to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. That's four. Man worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. Now you can see the point of contact between the the beast and the two witnesses. When they begin to utter blasphemies, you know that the two witnesses, the dreadful witnesses will attack them, will attack them to neutralize them. Verse 5 still. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. And he goes on to say, verse 6, He opened his mouth to blaspheme God 
and to slander his name, in other words, to put it to disrepute, his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So three people, they, they, they demonstrate hostility against the Lord, the name of the Lord, the house of the Lord, and the people of God. Three targets. And it says here, you are given power to make war against the saints, and I think verse 7 is of special note, of particular note to the church that does not want to enter darkness. The darkness I'm going to talk about tonight. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe people, language, and nation. Let me repeat verse 7. is very key for the church now. For those tuned in. For those that don't want to see the dispensation of darkness, they simply want to enter heaven, the safety of God Almighty. This is what he says here. He was given the beast. He was given power to make war against the saints and conquer them and defeat them and kill them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb of God that was slain from the creation of the world, they will worship the beast. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. He will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints, those that we caught up in that scenario. But why do I bring up this domain, this block, this motif of text to describe the reign of darkness that I saw yesterday and today? The reason I bring this up, beloved people, is because in a nutshell, this summarizes up a very important pictorial painting. It creates a painting on what the dispensation of that, as I'm going to describe today, looks like. And why the church should strive. And why today's Christian believer. Why the Christian should strive to ensure that they don't have anything to do with this dispensation of darkness that I saw. Now you're beginning to understand that when the Lord spoke, Yesterday, by showing me the two dispensations, the dispensation of light on my left, and the wall of darkness that suddenly appears and covers the earth at a 90 degree, the Lord spoke much. Because he says here that that darkness he presented is constituted by some actors. 
There are some actors that come into the scene on the earth. There are some principles that appear on the earth for action on the earth in order to exacerbate, to facilitate the pitch darkness, to enhance the darkness over the earth. Because when the church is taken away, the Holy Spirit too is taken away. So, so that is pretty clear now to all people. That the appearance of darkness across the face of the earth can only attest, testify to the fact that the church, the holy church of Christ, has been taken away. And now we are beginning to understand here that those whose names are found written in the book are the ones taken away. And those whose names are not found written, are not, have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was laid from the creation of the earth. They will remain and pass through some horrendous suffering, horrendous persecution, pain unbelievable, and they will have to worship the devil, except for being slaughtered. This kind of picture is what I intended to page for you to bring the point home that you should do everything and anything possible at the church that you may never ever see or be part of this dispensation of darkness I saw. Teach darkness, unbelievable darkness. And he says the beast he saw was like a leopard and resembled a bear in his feet and a mouth like a lion. So you can imagine the most vicious of animals in the wilderness. If you talk about the leopard, the leopard is the world's most vicious animal. The swiftness with which the leopard attacks its prey and devours, and for humans, normally the leopard jumps on the head and takes the clothes and puts the clothes between the uh, at the sockets of the eyes and uh, rather takes the clothes from the back sorry about that jumps on the head and normally grabs takes the clothes from the back near where the, the back of the, the, the brain is the head is and normally peels that skin and covers the face the leopard is so vicious so enemy so violent does not want to look at your eyes it normally pulls the peels off the skin from the back of the head and uses it to pull and cover your eyes as it begins to devour you. How terrible an animal. How evil an animal. How wicked. The leopard is feared. It's vicious. It's swift. It's fast. And so, he says here that one of them looked like a panther. A leopard. A leopard. Very evil animal. And the other like a bear, and we know, and the leopard when they attack, the first thing they do that, and then they, when there are many victims in the area prey, they bite the stomach and eat it, and leave that one dead, bite another stomach, they must handle stomach. And once they are all laid down, then they, they begin to devour. How terrible, how bloody, how murderous. It's the most vicious, the most violent. It loves bloodshed. The most tenacious. 
Remote relentless animals. Remote murderers. Devourers. Shows the greatest cruelty. Heartless. The most heartless animals. Hungry for blood. Hungry for flesh. For bread. Evil. The most wicked. And yet we also know what the bear is. The bear is so bad, it eats plus the bone. When the bear attacks, even a leopard will run away. It eats including the bone. It eats the bones of its victims. And then the lion. The lion is feared as the king of the jungle. The lion can attack any animal and eat it up in broad daylight. Even the leopard. The lion can attack the living. So, this picture I'm trying to paint for you to portray, to present to you the dispensation of the darkness that the Lord drives me into, presented in this prophecy. This picture is so powerful because it gives you one message. No, no, no. It's a no-go zone. Because you see, He's saying that the person of the Antichrist, when he comes, he will bear a combination. If he were to be a leopard alone, that is sufficient to be bad enough to run away, to avoid. I know that because he that speaks with you will have to confront them. And he has already confronted them in different scenarios, in different presentations, where the Lord has visited him and presented them to him and a serious flash ensued. It's unbelievable. It's so bloody. But he says, he bears a combination of the viciousness, the violence, the tenacity, the relentlessness, the murderousness, the wickedness, the evil, the devourousness, the cruelty, the heartlessness, the hunger of a leopard, combined with all of the above, over there, and then combined with all of the above, of the most ferocious beast. In the wilderness, the lion. That is now the creature. That is now the beast. That is the, the, the that is the power, the authority that is given power to attack the Christian believer and overcome them and kill them. Can you imagine? You don't want to be there. You really don't want to be there. That's why many times I have told you the Lord has spoken very clearly by saying, "Go and." Hard them, hard the church into safety, a safe exit, because beyond that is bad. This is how terrible this time will be. Vicious and given authority to overcome, to attack the saints and kill them. If you persist and you see, that's why you hear that all the nations of the earth, they will worship the beast, all the tribes, the languages, the peoples. All will worship the beast and they'll sing his song. They'll say, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him? Why? Because of this viciousness. How dare you? If they can sing, Who is like the beast? That means they themselves cannot. They, 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 they know that nobody can try. No one can ever try. Hallelujah. So this is the darkness we are talking about. A serious darkness, unbelievable darkness. Daniel chapter 7, 
verses 4 to 6 also brings out that that Revelation chapter 12 verse 17 brings out this darkness. Let me read it. But Daniel chapter 7 verses 4 to 6 also brings out this darkness. However, for purposes of now, Revelation chapter 12 verse 17, look at what it says. Then the dragon was furious, enraged, amplified, at the woman. Again, then the dragon was furious, enraged, at the woman, and he went away to wage war to the remainder of her descendants on those who obey God's commandments and who have the testimony of Christ Jesus and adhere to it and bear witness to him. That is the church. Because Israel is that woman. She has fled. She has gone away. She has fled. Again, another painting to the current church. That you should do anything. You should do, you should endeavor to put in place any mechanism, any process, any requisite adjustments in your life to ensure that you don't see, you don't live to see this dispensation of darkness. It will be totally unbearable. Again, he says, to wage war, and he was enraged and furious. If I read NIV, he says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of the rest of her offspring, descendants, those who obey God's commandment and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That is the church that missed the rapture. That is the church that fooled around, that was disobedient. When the Lord sent his two dreadful witnesses, to begin to bring the message of repentance and prepare the church for a safe exit into eternity. They, they, are, the, they are the Christians that argued. How can you argue with the fact that God, the Godhead himself, God the Holy Spirit, has descended on him? How can you even try? These are the ones that are blinded by the world, the sloths of the pleasures of this world, the sloths and the pleasures of this world have blinded them. So they are living a Christianity that is compromised and they are not ready to trade off. They are not ready to lay down some of the pleasures of the earth that have deluded them and lulled them and caused their vision to be short-sighted not to see beyond this dispensation. These are the Christians that continue even as the Lord has sent his two great witnesses they have continued to listen to false prophecy and false prophets, false apostles that you see on Christian TV, and the false messages you see on Christian TV. The message, oh, don't worry, God, God will not be that much requiring holiness. Don't worry, just, just take the grace, only the grace. You, you can go like that, even if you are unholy like that. Even if you are living without marriage, it's alright. Even if you are gay, it's alright. Even if you are wearing short dresses as a woman. And you are humiliating the Lord and women globally and creating immorality in the church. It's all right. Those are the preachers and the churches you see subscribed to those kinds of teachings. Those that never emphasized 
the requisite holiness without which no one sees the Lord. Nobody will see the Lord. Without which nobody will see Christ. We'll see the King. We'll see the Father. We'll see glory in heaven. Oh, don't worry. The Lord is alright with you. Don't worry. Hey. This church that you see on TV in the modern world, you see her mostly on the earthly thing. She's talking about how you should live well on the earth. She's not announcing to them that the Messiah is coming. I guess that is the relevance of this ministry. That the church went to sleep, hence the need to be awakened by this ministry. Otherwise the ministry will be irrelevant. The Lord has never been irrelevant, never at all. Never at one point. So you see that in that confusion of failing to be ready, of failing to prepare, of failing to take the person of the Holy Spirit and use him to prepare a holy garment for the wedding feast of the Lamb, then they run into this headwind here. They run into the dispensation of darkness, the unbearable darkness, the unfathomable, unthinkable that anyone could enter there, blind themselves with them. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 to, verses 12 to 17. Again, I'm still on a mission to paint for you a picture of how dreadful the darkness I saw is. And the Lord has blinded me into that darkness within the last 48 hours, twice. Including this afternoon when I had prepared to come on board. And then he shuts me down and prepares me and shows me more that I may come and speak it to you. And say, please don't go. In fact, I saw a lot of people running. They were chasing a lot of people. I saw soldiers chasing a lot of people to catch them and execute them. Those that attempted to worship Jesus. There was a lot of running. And what amazed me even in the villages, what looked like villages, so it was amazing. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. It's a block of verses. Five verses, but really, they, they go a long way to underscore to you, to paint a picture on the, the tribulation and the great tribulation that never ever may you find yourself there. This is the sole purpose of this painting here today. That is the reason the Lord gave that prophet. It is the disposition of love of God towards the church. In that vision there. In that prophecy, the Lord showed his soft part. The soft part of his heart. God the Father, the Godhead, he, he displayed, he, he betrayed the soft part of his heart towards the church of Christ. Then he presented this prophecy that the church may be well warned and she may prepare and I know we are on our way now to Barcelona in Spain, but what a mighty thing that at one single broadcast, everybody else can benefit. And they too can prepare for their own eternity, for their own sake. Revelation chapter 6, beloved people, I'm reading verse 12 up to 17. This is what he says. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, that is the lamp. He opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell off to the earth 
have let feet drop from a tree when shaken by a strong east wind or a strong wind, autumn wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings and the princes, so you see, that, that gives, that gives a, a little glimpse, beloved people. Up to verse 14. Verse 12 to 14 is sufficient to give a powerful painting and picture of how dreadful it will be to find yourself in that thick darkness, in the dispensation of darkness that is coming. And today I'm going to get very deep in this message, even on preparedness. How to prepare after I finish painting this picture here. So that darkness, what does it constitute? What is it then? The Lord has spoken with me on this. He has involved me. There is such a tremendous situation that will take place in that darkness. So I have a little bit much more information about that darkness. And so that darkness is a global ruler, a world ruler that appears. Full of tyranny, a tyrannical, tyrannical world ruler. <laughs> and that ruler will be merciless with merciless global power with merciless oppression so it becomes a, a dominion of oppression unbelievable oppression tremendous global power to execute persecution to execute Christian and idolatrous power you will all the time pursue idolatry and reject the worshipping of the true God. Now you see why there must be a serious titanic clash between them and the two witnesses of the Lord. Because once they start to institute and install the worshipping, idol worship, then the most obvious thing is that the two witnesses will strike them, will attack them. In the process to try and neutralize them. All this tyrannical and idolatrous power, tyrannical world power, with idolatrous mind, with persecuting world power, with a merciless global power, oppressing the whole world, a big dominion of oppression. All these powers that they accumulate will be for one purpose, to persecute the righteous for simply the sake of righteousness. To kill the righteous saints, why? Not that they have done anything, but just for the righteousness they behold. This is tremendous, beloved people. So you can see for yourself now the big, big darkness that is. And I remember too well that in that conversation with you at night, when I talk with you on this mighty, mighty prophecy, I gave example. I indeed did, did give example. And the example I gave was 
of this announcement here, this announcement, that one may appear and announce and caution and announce that tremendous, terrible times are coming. Please, please, please prepare. And that example I used was that of Joseph in Egypt that night. I used that example that night. And I said that Joseph is key here also. There's so much borrowing that the church could do with, could do from Joseph, the life of Joseph. And I used it quite sparingly that night to underscore to this generation the need for preparing one tremendous tribulation. Terrible times have been announced. The need for obedient preparedness. Blessed people. I use the life of Joseph. And today I want to open up a little bit on that lesson that comes out to the current church now that I have seen the two dispensations. I've seen the dispensation of this grace and where it ends, the wall of darkness, hits the wall of darkness. And the light disappears. And when light disappears, the earth is literally plunged into darkness. Since I've seen the two dispensations, you can clearly see and hear that I am actually warning the nations of the earth to prepare and prepare well. That they not be caught unaware. That those who will prepare well will enter into the safety of heaven. And that darkness will be like nothing to them. They will have neutralized the little deadly effects of that darkness. So today I want to set out to explore this darkness step by step to you by looking at the life of Joseph which we are going to look at and you see very clearly that the life of Joseph before I go into the darkness was characterized by rejection one phase where it was complete rejection when he began to spew out his dreams the treasures God had deposited in his heart Rejection when he went down into jail, begin first of all went down into the pit and then down into jail and then resurrection. You see him come up again and become a ruler in Egypt. And you see at that time he's able to reconcile the house of Jacob in Egypt from where the Lord is able to build forth the great nation of Israel but you see clearly that the king of Egypt had a dream and that dream is familiar with many but because it's the word of God I will read it that all may be on the same page the king of Egypt has a dream And the dreams he has, the two dreams in one, 
one night when two full years had passed meaning the two full years meaning the two full years of Joseph in jail when the two full years had passed Pharaoh had a dream he was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows sleek and fat and they grazed among the reeds meaning at the bank after them seven these these are sleek and fat after them seven other cows ugly and gaunt came up out of the night and stood beside those on the river bank so you see the first set of seven cows they are fat healthy and grazing they are sleek they are feeding on grass they are they are busy feeding but the second set are ugly and uh, gaunt and wicked if you so will and they are simply standing there staring at the seven that are fat. Isn't that such a picture, beloved Jesus? The first seven are fat, they are sleek, they are healthy, they are eating soft green grass by the banks of the night. The second set of seven cows are gowned they are ugly it's like they speak dark dark proud depravity and enemies and they are standing there simply staring at the fat one that are feeding on grass what a picture and the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sick and fat cows then Pharaoh woke up around he fell asleep again and had a second dream seven heads of grain healthy goodly good looking were growing on a single stalk seven healthy grain heads of grain growing on one stalk after them seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind if you read from the book of revelation you know that the east wind is sparked by the lord it comes from the desert so this one may have come from the sinai desert you know that the east wind comes from the breath the bible in the book of psalms says it's the, 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 the and by his breath he released the east wind that scorched up their crop so you can tell that all this was a set up by the Lord the east wind the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads then Pharaoh woke up Pharaoh woke up 
it had been a dream. In the morning, it in the morning his mind was tormented, was troubled, so that he sent for all the magicians that were wise magicians and wise men in Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them for him. Nine. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "Today I am reminded of my shortcoming. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me. And the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guards, each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own." Bartos. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guards. He told him our dreams. Again, we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation for his dream. Verse thirteen, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hung. So Pharaoh sent out Pharaoh, sent out for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He had shaved and changed his clothes, and he became he can he came before Pharaoh. He appeared before him. Verse fifteen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it is said, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it." Verse sixteen. I cannot. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God, the God of heaven. Will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves, meaning the right answer for the dream. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and slim, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, crowning." And very ugly and lean and bony. I had never seen such ugly cows in all of the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows. Excuse me, that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. So this is Pharaoh's dream, and you see Joseph runs to give glory to the Lord first. This is the dream that Pharaoh had. And beloved people, the reason Joseph is able to interpret the dream is very powerful because Joseph 
comes from the Lord with a very important preparation for the Lord. The Lord prepares him for this setup. The Lord sets up this scene. But you see that the reason I read this powerful scripture for you is that the church right now finds herself at a similar place. Same exact place. The church right now finds herself at the same place. Why? Because at that time, the Lord was warning. The Lord was saying that you have this dispensation of plenty, of grace. And then, after which comes the dispensation of trouble, of suffering, of tribulation, of depravity, of lack. And that is the same message the Lord is giving in this prophecy of May 11, the year 2018. And the reason, let me just give you the interpretation of Joseph first before I get into the message for the church. How God is warning this church too, that be careful now. This is your season of grace, but it expires. And there are several important instructions and uh, preparation and uh, nuggets of wisdom that the church needs to take from there on this matter of preparedness. And today we are going to get quite deep on this matter. The reason Joseph is able to interpret this dream, the, the two dreams, and the magician and the sorcerers and the witches are not able to interpret this dream, beloved people, is because in this dream, at one point, there are 14 cows. And so the calculus of that defeated the magician. They were not able to calculate it and resolve that equation. Because at one point, the seven sleek fat, healthy and normal, beautiful, wonderful cows are there eating. While the seven wicked gowns, lean and body cows are there standing watching the others. That is what really, really confounded all the magicians to the extent they could not. There was no way. They could not interpret this dream. It had to come from the Lord now. And when you read the interpretation of Joseph, beloved people, Joseph tells the Pharaoh that the two dreams are the same. They are one. They are one dream. The two dreams are not different. He says in verse 29, 25, he says, The dream of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years. The seven good cows are seven good years and the seven good heads of corn, heads of grain are seven years. They are one. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean 
ugly and bony cows that came up afterward are seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind they are seven years of famine they are one they are one beloved people that is where he defeated the magicians from because he said the seven good years the pastor of the seven healthy cattle healthy cows and the seven bony and wicked cows and the seven healthy corn and the seven worthless heads of grain are one they are simply one that's what he says here they are all one those four permutations are one and he goes on in verse 28 it is just as I say to Pharaoh God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt but seven years of famine will follow them then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe verse 32 the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God firmly decided by God and God will do it soon the reason he was given the dreams twice the one dream times two is because God has decided amplified from verse 31 says and the okay, from verse 31 and the plenty will become quite unknown in the land because of the following famine for it will be very woeful severe woefully severe that the dream was sent twice to Pharaoh and in two forms indicates that this thing which God again indicates that this thing which God will very soon bring to pass is fully prepared and established by God it must now happen what matters most is verse 33 beloved from that point on and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning man wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a seat of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance they should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food so if I were you reading the Bible verse 35 is what I would take for tonight if I were you reading the Bible and faced with this warning that came up yesterday May 11th 
the year 2018. When God showed me the dispensation of grace, the light, the light of Christ, and the dispensation of darkness, all of them at the same time, meaning one the church, one the nation, one the earth, that the dispensation of difficulty, of suffering, the dominion of darkness, dispensation of wickedness is coming. Tell them to prepare. If I were you listening to me, verse 35 would be my take. That's what I would take away. Verse 35. Because he says, they should collect all the food of these good years, of this dispensation of grace, they should store up reserves, in other words, they should build up reserves, they should work hard now to store up reserves of these good years that are coming, and store up for us, we are in it now, the good years, and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh, meaning, and keep it. In other versions they say, and keep it. Again, he says here, if you look at uh, New American Standard, he says, then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain, talk about storage, reserve, for food in the cities under Pharaoh, under Pharaoh's authority, and let them guard it. Here he says, guard it. If I were you, I would underline guard it also. Store up, keep it, and guard it. I would keep that. I would underline that, beloved people. That in the good years, you need to store up unto yourselves reserves of righteousness. I don't know why I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me first handle this, then I come to us. I come to the church. He says, store up in the good years, the plenteous years. Store up unto thyself reserves, unto yourselves reserves. And keep it in another version, New American Standard, he says, and guard it, lest you lose it, and don't lose it. Okay. Let us see what uh, Amplified says. And the plenty will become quite unknown in the land that we've seen because of the following famine. For it will be very woefully severe. Verse 32. That the dream was given and said twice to Pharaoh, and in two forms indicates that the thing which God will very soon bring to pass is fully prepared and established by God. So it must happen. Verse 33. So now let Pharaoh seek, seek out, and provide a man discreet understanding, provide a man discreet understanding, proficient and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt, over the entire land of Egypt, again, and set him over the land of Egypt as governor. Let Pharaoh do this, then let him select and appoint officers over the land and take one-fifth of all the produce of the land, of the whole land of Egypt, in the seven plenteous years 
year by year. Mark 35 is what we need. That is your scripture. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the direction and authority of Pharaoh and let them retain food, retain food in fortified granaries in the cities, beloved people. So my question to the church, have you retained your reserves, your treasures in fortified granaries? We are coming to that. I'm coming to you, beloved people. But let's not handle this entire scenario here, the warning, and what took place after the warning. So you see that this is a beautiful painting, beloved people, that the Lord brings here on the interpretation of the dream that was stirred up by the Lord. The Lord himself orchestrated the dream because he wanted to bring out Joseph in a particular place so he can be able to build the great nation of Israel from here, from Egypt. Remember the promise I did given Abraham that you would build the great nation of Egypt, sorry, the great nation of Israel from Egypt. The promise was already given Abraham that his descendants would go into Egypt and there a great nation shall be built in Egypt. Israel would be built from Egypt. The nation of God, the people of God, the covenant people of God. So, again, you see very clearly here that the reason Joseph is able to interpret, let's first look at the interpretation before I move on to the lessons to the church, the message to the present day church that is also faced with the warning on terrible times coming, on the great tribulation, the tribulation and the great suffering and the great tribulation both coming. We see that Joseph speaks to the king, to Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh that, look, these four sets of dreams are one. They overlap in one heap, in other words. The first set of seven years of healthy and sleek cattle, cows, above, again, you can now lay underneath the seven sets of gouty, withered and bony cows, ugly cows, so you overlap them. Meaning those seven years stuck together, they start at the same time. When the years of plenty start, the years of famine also start. Hey, what a powerful interpretation here of the Lord. And he says, underneath you also put the seven healthy heads of corn, heads of grain. So you have a set of three like a solid building. You can draw bars, one bar representing the healthy, the seven healthy cows, the next bar underneath, overlapping exact, being the seven bony and very ugly cows, and underneath again, the seven, the third one now, the seven healthy corn, healthy grain, Underneath again, the seven leafy and nothing, unproductive, unfruitful corn or fruit or produce or grain. So you have that block of seven, there are four sevens, permutation of four sevens. 
they all start together. That's why Joseph told the king that all these dreams are one. They are one. They speak. They are one thing. They are the same and one. Why? They are now a permutation of four blocks, and then that is during the plagiat years, and then four blocks during the years of depravity or famine. Why? Because Joseph told the king that this is essentially what the Lord says. The Lord is essentially saying that when the seven good years begin, the famine also begins, must begin, for Egypt to be saved. For Egypt to be saved, when the seven good years, represented by the healthy cattle, the healthy cows, and the healthy corn, the healthy grain, when those two, when the seven healthy cows and healthy grain, when those seven years begin, the seven bony cows, ugly cows, and seven grainless, grainless corn appear, they must begin at the same time. For Egypt to be saved, that when the years of plenty come, the Egyptian must begin to feel the famine. That is the only way you survive in the tribulation. That when you are in the dispensation of the grace now, you must start feeling the impact of the great tribulation and the, the tribulation and the great tribulation that is being announced to make you prepare. That you may prepare. Hallelujah. He says, otherwise there is no surviving. You will plunge into the great darkness of sin. The unbelievable darkness that the Lord has shown me. You will plunge right into it. He's saying, when the seven years of plenty begin, they essentially overlap. They overlap such that the years of plenty are felt, but not that much because they are saving our fifth. There is so much grain, no doubt about that. But that plenty of supply has now been overlapped by the feeling, the knowledge of the drought and poverty and scarcity and famine ahead. So the seven years of plenty are already overlapped with scarcity and famine, with depravity and suffering, with tribulation and suffering. Hey. That's why they are living in plenty. And make no mistake, the grain was as high as the sun. The sand of all the seashores globally. So that was much grain. But he's saying, they lived in constant awareness and fear of the future. They were afraid, if I don't prepare well, I will suffer. Saving all the time. Storing all the time. And he said, those reserves, that is what matters 
unto the great tribulation. That when the warning came, you began to build your reserves, blessed people. Reserves. You began to build reserves when the warning came. Hallelujah. And he's saying that the seven good years, so when the bumper happened, the superabundance was achieved. There was he that had the Spirit of God that helped them now, that's Joseph, to develop preserved and build fortified, guarded, safeguarded, serious silos, reserves of treasure that you will need on the other side, that you may not feel the repercussion, the consequences, and the dread, the danger of the tribulation, of the famine. So the reserves were collected. So they were leaving seven years of plenty, but they were leaving famine too. They felt the effect of the famine already. They felt it. Because they were all the time watching out on the famine that is coming. Watching out on the famine. In that way, they were on their lack. They were prepared. They were ready. They were always expectant of that coming season. In anticipation of the famine that was coming. They were not just lying there sleeping and forgetting. That is what saved Egypt. Storing up reserves and guarding the reserve. Safeguarding it. And, and the other version says, and keep it. Hallelujah. And keep it. How powerful to build the reserves. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 21 to 22, raises Joseph as one of those examples of faith that the church needs to rely on. That's why I bring this to you today. Hebrews 11, 21, 22, beloved people, the Bible, the Lord himself raises Joseph, the act of Joseph, this powerful encounter that Joseph is set up in, the Lord raises it. He raises Joseph as one of those champions of faith that the church needs to depend on. One of those heroes of faith. Hebrews 11.21 on it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. That's the blessing released. Can I read it? By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped the Lord as he leaned. On the top of his staff. Verse 22. By faith Joseph, when his end was near, talked about the exodus of the Israelites of Egypt and gave instruction.
is born. So Joseph is relevant to the church. Joseph is one of those people, champions if you will, that the Lord raises for this church to learn from the lesson of Joseph. To learn from him. And tonight we're seeing a tremendous lesson here on preparedness once the announcement of the dead children has come. And we are seeing that one of the things you can pull out there, so many things you can pull out there, by the way, the Spirit of the Lord is involved there. You can pull out, find a man that has the Spirit of the Lord, so he may give counsel to the church. He may give counsel to the land. That is also there. Him that has the counsel that can tell, him that is able to see the two dispensations, to see that one here and the bad one coming, the deadly one, the dangerous one coming. He should give counsel on how the nation, that the people should go about in order not to suffer the consequences of the great tribulation ahead of us here. So there is that lesson also which we are not covering at all, we are not handling. But the one I seem to lay emphasis on today is the reserves, the building of the reserves, how to build reserves, how Joseph built reserves for Egypt and guarded it and kept it, safeguarded it. Revelation chapter 6, let's begin from there. Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 on this segment on reserves. And, and I know if you are making notes, at this hour you should have written a subtitle, Building Reserves for the Difficult Days Ahead. Whichever way you want to put it, but that could be such a broad title. Building Reserves for the Rainy Days Ahead, for the Bad Days Ahead. If you say rainy, they may think of bumper. For the bad days ahead, for the tribulation ahead. Revelation chapter 6, beloved people. This is what he says. I'm reading verses 5 to 6. That you are familiar with this scripture. He says, Revelation 6, 5 to 6 says, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Black, talk about that. Depravity. A black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. I have used this scripture when I was talking about the release of the four horsemen, the prophecy I gave until each one of them became released. Even in the news, the newsmen suddenly had this strange pale horse coming out of their clips in Egypt at the Tahrir Square, Tahrir Square. Until Global News Network, Euro News, MSNBC, NBC, CNN, everybody reported this, that in their cameras they are seeing a strange phenomenon when all cameras were trained and focused on Tahrir Square that day. Then you see the pale horse. I have given the prophecy of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four apocalyptic horsemen. Each one of them as the Lord took me before his throne room and released one by one. 
I have given the prophets. And they have been released after the fourth one. And I used this description then, as I was talking about the release of the black horse, the third one, released by the third preacher. And I said very clearly that there is a message to the church, and it is a preamble too for the great doubt, the great depravity and scarcity that is coming, coming in the great tribulation. There is a tremendous scarcity that will come in the great tribulation and you are all aware why there will be a scarcity of food. And that is what is being dramatized here, illustrated here in Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 to 6. I'm talking about the literal value, literally, before I talk about the spiritual value. The spiritual value, you have been told for many years across the earth. I have told it. Where I talked about the oil and wine church. The church that's under the revival of the oil and wine. And the church of one quarter of wheat for a day's wages. The church in depravity. The two churches are on the earth now. But I'm now talking literally as I'm against the great tribulation. And on the literal value of Revelation 6, 5 to 6. Why? Because it says this is a preamble. All this I discussed with you about the global economic crisis and the prophecy I gave then before the crash of the global market. The Lehman Brothers, the bank went down and all these all stock markets from New York through Chicago, commodity exchange, all the way to London, New York, Shanghai, Singapore, everything on call. And I say that is a preamble of the great the greatest, the most dreadful economic crisis that will take place in the Great Tribulation, where buying and selling would be greatly restricted to the extent that people will denounce the faith to get just a little bread. The price of food will be the greatest problem ever. The greatest of all problems with the will, will be the price of food, availability of food. And that will be kind of uh, accelerated and amplified when he that speaks with you will shut the heavens for three and a half years. So even the food itself will be scarce. And hence there will be inflationary prices, full-blown lack of food, shutting down of the heavens. You see in Revelation chapter 11 verse 6. Revelation 11 verse 6. Look at what he says here. He says, These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying and they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. How powerful, beloved people. And that's why I am telling you, please stay away. This is yet another painting of the picture, of the portrait of the great darkness I saw on May 11th yesterday, the year 2018, when I saw the dispensation of light come to an end. And then the dispensation of darkness began and the Lord plunged me into the darkness and then I began the action, began the duty unto the Lord to do the errands of God, to defend our God Jehovah to defend his Christ and to announce his coming and prepare his way in the darkness and to be a witness unto the light within that darkness. 
that all that may listen, they will believe and then find Christ. Like in the first coming, when only those that believed the voice were able to recognize and encounter Christ Jesus the Messiah at his first coming. So now, look at the context of building reserves, how now it has taken a powerful twist. When now the Lord is talking literally, and he's saying, there will be such a food scarcity and shortage, and the food prices will be so escalated, and there will be inflationary value on food to the extent that now those, only those with the mark of the beast will be given a ration of food. Do you understand the time ahead of us here? Yet another painting, and on this side you see, the shutting of heaven too is what causes the shortage of food. The global food shortage takes place, and the global food inflation takes place. And the global food shortage takes place. Because he that speaks with you has been commanding heaven to open. Every time he walks into a place, heaven opens, the glory comes. You can tell that he has the golden key that opens heaven. He can open heaven to a person, open heaven to a nation, to a people, to the earth. Has the key that opens heaven. That's why he can command heaven to open in a broad, sunny summer day. When the weatherman says, no rain, do what you want. Today there is no rain. Go ahead and do your outward activity. Outward activity. And then in less than one second, one minute when he commands, rain comes down. That is meant by the Lord to dramatize to you that the rain clouds listen to him. They wait to attend duty to his word. In Kenya here, he has changed the season. He changed the season and people had bumper crops, two of them. When the weatherman said this would be the most difficult year ever. Look at the rain that has poured in this land right now. Is somebody seeing these things or not? When the weatherman said, oh, unless maybe end of April or come mid-May, some rain but short rain, it will not be much. Look at that now. Look at the outpour that has hit this earth. Beloved people, he can change season and he has commanded rain to come down in a sunny summer day in the stadium. So, the Lord is using that to dramatize to you His capacity and capability and authority and power to shut heaven or open the heaven, bring rain or shut it for three and a half years. You all know the stripes He beholds. But how much then the food shortage for the lack of rain and the inflationary value of the food? And Genesis 41, 35 to 38, I have just read where he says, Now there will be need for reserves. The reserves and keep it. I don't know how many Christians are right now keeping righteousness, building their reserves of righteousness, building their reserves of holiness, building their reserves of re reverence with God, building their reserves of the fear of God, that when that day comes, they may not suffer. But be delivered that the season may overlap. Let me just repeat this for you. Let me repeat the interpretation that you may understand better. He said, the Lord had instructed that all the seven overlap. They are the same and one thing. For Egypt to be saved. 
that when the good years of plenty begin, then the years of depravity must begin. For Egypt to live in the years of plenty, in preparedness, in readiness, in alert, as they prepare, by keeping reserves, so that when the years of depravity come, of nothing, then the reserves they had will overlap the depravity on this side, and they will not feel the effect. Hey. That was the interpretation when he said they are the same in one thing. That the healthy cows, which are seven and representing the seven good years, that when those seven good years begin, in the book of Genesis 41, the seven years of drought and famine must begin in the lives of the Egyptians for Egypt to be ready to confront the drought and famine and for Egypt to survive. In other words, you too, when the prophecy has been given to the church today, the good years of the grace you are enjoying now should overlap with the years of the, somehow overlap the effect, the effect of the tribulation, the great tribulation must be felt now to cause you to be alert, to cause you to be in preparedness, to cause you to be reserved, to cause you to be ready, in readiness, that when that time comes, you're out of here. Your results of righteousness are sufficient to deliver you, so you don't feel the effect. You will not feel the effect of the famine, the effect of the drought. There will be a tremendous famine of the world. That's why you heard him say that a witness unto the light. You are the witness and a, a witness unto light, the witness of light. That witness, that light, that light they glow. Is actually the word of God because only they remain preaching the word. <clears throat> Except for another group, but that's far removed from the scenario of the church now. They remain preaching the word. They know Jesus is still the Lord. Jehovah is still God. The Holy Spirit is the power. And that time the Holy Spirit is assigned to each of them. Each one of them. Very powerful, beloved people. That when the warning was given to Egypt and the good years of grace appeared, the Egyptians lived as though famine had come. They felt the effect of famine. They came out to themselves, took it unto themselves to feel the effect of the famine out of the warning. The effect of the warning came into effect. So atheist people, atheists, pagans, when the prophecy of God, Jehovah, came, they believed it and they began to build reserves. How much more the church today? The prophecy has come. Will you build reserves of righteousness? Will you build your holiness from glory to glory? Will you build your fear of God wisdom? Will you build your reverence unto the Lord? That's what he's talking about here. He's saying that when the good cows Seven of them, the good years began. The Egyptians from day one began to feel the effect of the bad coming years. So they lived keeping one feet, keeping away one feet, and storing, storing. There was a massive storage in Egypt. You can imagine the mass movement of grain in the country. It's as though famine had arrived already. And when the years of famine came, then the reserves, the reserves, 
There is us given overlap. Seven years, the seven ugly cows were now overlapped by the seven beautiful and sleek cows, the plenty. So the effect should not be felt. Except that the scenario was a little different here because all the nations from the globe came for grain. And there's another mission that was to build Israel. To build up the great nation of Israel that the house of Jacob come forth. Come forth and come forward to Egypt. And reunite and reconcile and build forth the great nation of Israel. However, the grain overlaps. The purpose was to overlap. Overlap the lack, the famine. And that is the message the church from this prophecy. That I have seen the dispensation of the light and the dispensation of the darkness. And now the warning has been sounded. You are still in the grace. So can you store up for yourself sufficient grace of righteousness, sufficient righteousness, sufficient holiness, sufficient fear of God, sufficient reverence, sufficient worship, upright, right standing with God, integrity of heart, zero tolerance to sin. That when that day of rapture suddenly happens, you are not blinded to darkness, but those reserves, they propel you into the safety of the eternal kingdom of God. Not to feel the tribulation at all. Not to experience and witness the great tribulation at all. Revelation chapter 3 verse 11 on the same note. Revelation, the reserves, the reserves that come out. Come out of this major prophecy of May 11th, the year 2012, last, last yesterday, rather. Yesterday. Two, again, 2018. May 11th, the year 2018, yesterday. The prophecy I gave in the middle of the night. Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He said, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Hallelujah. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Never huh? again. Never again. So sorry. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the... Let me just read this properly because beloved people, let me calm down and just read it very well. Slow down a little bit. But 11 is ideal for you because it says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown, snatch away your crown. And this has been taught over and over again. I've taught it over and over again. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, which we're going to read very shortly. He's saying that right now the reserves of the anointing that the Spirit of the Lord has given you as a Christian as a church, as a believer. He says, hold on to that. Hold on to those without of righteousness. <laughs> Meaning, 
the Lord knew that at this hour, there would be the risk of plunder. If you try to build results of righteousness, all of a sudden holiness, all of a sudden a friend comes to Shofko, meet some friends there, all of a sudden then you are shocked, you are drinking beer, or they are drinking in your presence, immorality over there, they, you know, you end up in a situation and you find your fallen. He's saying, build unto yourself reserve. But be very careful then. Because lest you lose your reserve in these wicked days, he was talking about the risk of plunder, the risk of losing your reserve. This is a very powerful thing for the church. This should be the preoccupation of the church now. That the church at this hour should be preoccupied with building reserves that when that day comes, she may have sufficient reserves for entry into eternity. She may not be found to be lacking, unaware, flat-footed, as a greenhorn. Flat-footed. No. And he's saying here in Revelation 3.11, of course up to 12, but 11 is ideal, that there is risk of plunder. Today, if you try to be holy, there is so much assault. There is so much attack and assault from outside, what I call external insult and assault. You turn on TV, it assaults you. You try to listen to radio, assaults you. That's why for us, we only listen to Christian radio. That's why now, even as we are fasting, we don't even watch news. We don't turn on TV at all. There is so much assault and attack goes on there. You think you're watching news, they flash immorality. You think you're, it's just the devil, the devil, and the devil, and the devil period. The Lord was warning about this. Be careful that you don't lose your reserves. Reserves of righteousness. Reserves of holiness. And in Matthew 25, still on the same risk of plunder, Matthew 25, he raises the flask on even further, on the need to sustain the reserve, uphold the reserve, to safeguard the reserve, to keep the reserve. And in, in, in the book of Genesis, he says, and keep it, and guard it. That Egypt needs to build reserves now that the prophecy has been spoken and the wise counsel given from the one that has the spirit of the Lord to build reserves and guard it and keep it in a fortified silo, so how? Matthew 25, verses 6 to 9. This is what he says. At midnight the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. This is the coming of the Messiah. He says, Verse 7. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They are running dry. Don't do that, please. Don't do that. He's describing the danger of plunder at this hour. He's describing the necessity, the need. 
the gravity, the significance of keeping the reserve and keep it and guard it well for that day. That's why I spent the first part of this sermon talking about anticipation, great anticipation, expectation, great expectation, eagerness, alert, that when you are alert and anticipating, anticipating, then now you can build reserves looking forward to that day, looking forward. You can now build your reserve looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. Matthew 25, 6-9, continuing on. Then all the virgins woke up, verse 7, and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8 is your verse. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Please don't give them. Don't give them. You are gone if you do. The same Jesus that preached so much about art and you shall be given. Look and it shall be opened. Now he says, when the foolish virgins on the matter of entry, on the matter of entry to eternity, climbing those glorious stairs, when the foolish virgins, when they ask, they are not given. The foolish virgins represent the poor. Those who don't have depravity, scarcity, lack. Can you imagine the situation where someone is in absolute scarcity and need and is asking and you have plenty and you don't give? That is what Jesus simulated it to the moment of entry of the church to this hour. He said, stop giving them. You remain otherwise. Otherwise you remain. Hey. And when you go down the same Jesus, when they come back with budget oil, the corrupt church, he, they knock, he doesn't open. He himself locks them out, says he doesn't know them. The same Jesus who preached, knock, and the door shall be opened. This is serious caution, beloved people. This prophecy the Lord gave on May 11, 2018, is such a clarion call. A resounding warning to those who care about eternity. I have seen the two dispensations. Dispensation of light and the dispensation of darkness. Hallelujah. And it says again, verse 8, The foolish ones say to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going off. Verse 9, No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, you go to those you've been buying from perpetually, proverbially, all the time, normally you buy from there, you buy on TV, you buy from those people on television, you buy in those crusades where they come to your town, they send you the oil you buy in your churches, you go, he said, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself, right? What manner of reply is this? But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins, you know, the maid group, the maid attendants, the virgins were ready. The virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And later, the others also came with oil. Sir, sir, they bought oil. Sir, sir, open the door. Open the door for us. But he replied, I, he, that's the Messiah. I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day and the hour. 
day or the hour. Build your reserves more and keep them safe. Guard them. Guard them. Keep them safe. Fortify them. They are your treasure. Genesis chapter 6 verses 12 to 22. Same on the reserve. You can see that the Lord is highlighting the need for building reserves. This is now the council he is dispensing and is administering counsel right now to the church. After the warning, then he gives the counsel. How awesome, beloved people. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12 to 22. The importance and the significance of keeping reserves now when the prophecy of the Lord has been given. Genesis 6, I'm reading. Well, uh, we can start from verse 12, for example. Maybe verse 9. He says, This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. We remember Enoch walked with God. Noah is just the second person who walked with God. And I know now you people have seen in the broad open daylight. In this age you have seen another true Another two prophets walking with God in your eyes in modern day, 2018. But it says, and he walks with God. But then, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Verse 12. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Verse 13, so God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both men, both them and the earth, men and the earth. Verse 14, so make yourself an earth of cypress wood, Make room in it and build it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. It goes on and on. This, uh, let's read through. Let's read through. This is how you are to build it. Again, this is how you are to build it. I need to find it, then I'll read it for you. Again, the earth. Okay, this is how you are to build it. The earth is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof of, for it and finish it, finish the earth. Okay, make a roof for it and finish the earth to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the earth and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Verse 17. I am going to bring floods on the earth to destroy all the life under the heaven. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. In other words, the breath he gave is taken away. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish a covenant with you, and you will enter
and your wife and your son's wife with your oath with you you are to bring into the earth two of the living creatures male and female to keep them alive with you verse 20 two of every kind of bird of every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive meaning that the disposition they will develop they will become humble and they will come to you verse 21 now this is the verse I was targeting this is where he talked about the reserves again after the prophet said you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it as food for you and for them verse 22 beloved people verse 21 is the target verse 21 is our scripture again another significance of building reserves when the lord has announced for this prophecy of terrible times coming tribulation coming then he tells noah you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for the animals and your family of course hallelujah reserves but when you look at the scenario of noah Noah was building the reserves of righteousness obedience and blamelessness for all the 120 years he built the ark so you have to be broader in your picture you have to pick up the broader picture your visual has to have Noah building the ark for 120 years relentless zealous obedient faithful following the command of God no contestation loving God blameless righteous holy walking with God what a tremendous reserve and then come to the physical reserve of food for the bad days ahead when the entire earth is covered again the power of reserve verse 21 you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away guard it away keep it away as food for you and for them once the prophecy is announced you always obey the prophecies of God why because they are always fulfilled always to the letter another example because of time we're not going to read Rahab Rahab was warned seven days in advance before the battle on Jericho and she kept reserves for the siege Elisha number 8 Elisha warned the Shunammite woman about the tremendous famine coming and she kept reserves the power of reserves beloved people the power of reserves kept reserves the power of reserves beloved people how awesome how tremendous that the church needs to learn from these scriptures and examples in the Bible to keep reserves, blessed people to keep the reserves for the tribulation and the great tribulation, precious people reserves 
is in the book of Genesis, blessed people. Chapter 41, again, Genesis 41, verse 35. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to keep it. Again, it says, collect, store up, and keep it in the cities for the food. In the cities for the food. And then he goes on verse 36 and adds. He adds number four. The food should be held in reserve. Say held now. In reserve for the country. To be used during the seven years of famine. That will be coming upon Egypt. So that the country may not be ruined by famine. Hey. Verse 35 amplified, let me see. He says, And let them gather, he uses the word gather, if I will, you I would gather. Okay, let's do NIV, and then I give you some nuggets, right? They should collect, so your number one is collect. They should collect all the foods of these good years that are coming, and store up, number two is store up, the grain under the authority of Pharaoh, to keep, number three, to keep, to be kept rather, number three, to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held, number four is be held in reserve, number four, reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that Egypt may not die, may not be ruined, may not be wiped out. Hey. Let's look at Amplified, what it says here. What a powerful Sunday service for Australia. Probably it's already coming to morning over there. And South Korea probably. And he says here, Amplified 35, he says, And let them gather, so your first word, number six for you here is gather, all the food of these good years that are coming, and lay up, number seven is lay up grain under the direction and authority of the Pharaoh and let them retain number 8 is retain food number 9 in fortified number 10 granaries in the cities <laughs> 36 it says and the food shall be put in stores so I would write put in stores or in stores for the country against the 7 years of hunger and famine that are coming upon the land of Egypt that the land may not be ruined and wiped out by famine. Hey. Very powerful, beloved people. Even Rahab, she was warned to collect her family and gather some reserves because there's going to be a siege on Jericho. Even Elisha warned the Shunammite woman to prepare reserves, famine was coming. The power of building reserves of righteousness at this hour of grace, at this hour of plenty, at this dispensation of the good harvest, of abundance, is absolutely key to mitigate on the coming tribulation and great tribulation, beloved people. So we see a tremendous message, beloved people, before I enter the darkness. I have not even started the message for tonight. The 
darkness. And so I want to take a short break, beloved people. When I come back, I will wind up with the life of Joseph and how Joseph speaks to the church. Then immediately I will now blind myself into the darkness and now bring out from the darkness that I saw in that prophecy. The message is trumpeting to the church. May we take a short worship break with I see grace because I see we are seeing grace at this hour. So we really need to take this moment. I see grace and then holiness is all I need. And there's some beautiful songs that can really glorify our God when a child is born, you know, and play also the, the, the medley. You know, just, just nice worship, five, three, five songs. I'll get back to you because we have to keep going. We need to plow on. This is too much. I cannot stop it now. If I stop, I think your Sunday service is happening here. So when I stop it, then it will take a lot of time again for me to come because I'm traveling, beloved people. Right now, everything is focused on Spain. A big, big meeting in Spain. Every conversation is in Spain right now. Every dream, every time it takes me to Spain. And I'm seeing a lot of immorality and everything needs me to address there. Tremendous times, beloved people. Let's take a short break. But he's saying that in Hebrews chapter 12, the building of reserves, in summary, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, pardon me, chapter 11, verses 21 to 22, he says Joseph is one of those perfect examples, champions of faith, that the present day church needs to learn from. And then in Revelation chapter 6, number 2, Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 to 6, he talks about the great famine that will take place in the great tribulation, because the heavens will be shut according to Revelation 11, 6, and the, once the rain stops, inflation of food prices, food scarcity, only those with stamps of the mark of the beast on their four faces and right hand. Four faces meaning they rule over you. Right hand meaning you are their servant now. They will be sold to ration. The third scripture is Genesis 41, 35 to 38, which we've just read. Throwing up reserves because the prophet has been announced. The fourth one is Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, where it says, Keep what you have, guard what you have, lest you lose it, that someone may not snatch away your crown of glory, crown of righteousness, crown of everlasting life. He says, Keep what you have received, otherwise you will lose it, the risk of plunder. Number five, Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. When the foolish virgins came to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are running dry. They know there isn't enough for both us and you. The risk of plunder again. That church that has been ruining herself in false prophecy, false now trying to run last minute to snatch your anointing, to, 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 to confuse you. How can they do that? They cannot even take it away from you. You can't even give it to them because anointing cannot be transferred. Preparedness cannot be shared. That is the message here. Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 to 22. How Noah, a righteous man, blameless before God, obedient total to God, he kept reserves for the tremendous tribulation of flood that was ahead. Once the prophecy was said, he began to work the one. He began to feel the flood 120 years ago. Throughout the 120 years he built the earth, he felt the ravaging and raging floods killing people. He was working in a hurry with trembling and panicking with a sense of urgency. 
the siege of Jericho. And the Shunammite woman was saved by the prophet of Elijah. Let us take a short break, then I come and wind up on, on uh, Joseph, and now begin today's message. Shalom to the Araba. Erev Tov. Good evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm.